150 saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us, pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now, Please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him. And he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And then over to, Ephes- to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. We're going to be talking about bones this morning. There are 206 bones in the human skeleton, a remarkable way that God has created us as human beings. Our bones provide health and vital support for the various parts of our bodies. Some are very important, our skull, our rib cage, our spine, to hold our body together. These bones are made up of living cells embedded in a hard framework of minerals, mostly calcium, and phosphorus. So your bones are very much alive and very much help keep you alive and me alive. However, this morning we're not going to be talking about living bones. We're going to be talking about dead, dry, brittle, lifeless bones. But they're going to be the bones of faith the bones that I hope will strengthen you in your faith, in your confidence, in your hope as you trust in the Lord. The author of Hebrews chapter 11, the great chapter of faith in which many different Old Testament characters are mentioned, was given to spur his readers on to trust in the Lord. And one of those was Joseph, not the father of Jesus, the Joseph of Genesis the son of Jacob, one of the sons of Jacob. 
Imagine the wealth of material that the writer of Hebrews had to illustrate faith in the life of Joseph. As a young man, he had the gift of interpreting dreams, and his brothers didn't like that. They were jealous of him, so they arranged to sell him into slavery, and he wound up as a slave in Egypt. While he was there, he was seduced by one of the soldier's wives, but he withstood that temptation. But as a result, he was placed in prison. But he never lost his faith and trust in the Lord. He stood firm for obedience to God's will, revealed will for his life. He interpreted the dreams of the butler and the baker. And as a result of all that, Pharaoh made Joseph number two in command in the great nation of Egypt, which is a very strong nation at that time. Wow. All kinds of material there. Through it all, this wonderful faith and trust in him. Yet the incident that the writer of Hebrews singles out for the faith of Joseph was in his dying moments on his deathbed, in which he said, he made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. What, what a strange selection to pick that out to help us with our personal faith in the Lord. Back in chapter 50, at verse 24, at the age of 110, Joseph called his brothers together and he made mention about the Exodus. Verse 24, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land they swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And we get to see those brothers saying to themselves, whoa, wait a minute, Joseph. You're talking about leaving Egypt? Why would we want to leave Egypt? This is where we live. We have raised our families here. Things are going very well for us. And don't forget, you were the one that invited us down here in the first place. Why would we ever want to exit the land of Egypt? But Joseph had never forgotten the promises made, first of all, to his great-grandfather Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 and 14. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. And then to his, grand, to his father, uh, Jacob, in chapter 46, verses 3 and 4, we read these words. Then he said, the Lord said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. Joseph never forgot that idea that God's people were not to be down in Egypt forever. That one day they would be exiting Egypt and going to the land that God had promised. But Joseph says something else that is our main focus this morning, not the Exodus, but this matter about his bones. He gave directions concerning his bones. Now, this was not a superstitious request. 
we know that down through church history, bones have been venerated. Uh, they had been preserved. The, some of the departed saints of the church, the bones are being carried around or put in certain cases, almost worshipped. Bones have been enshrined. They've been placed on altars. They've been carried in processions. They've been used in relation to certain miraculous, so-called miraculous events. But there's something much more significant about Joseph's bones than that kind of superstitious thing. Why did he make this request? Why not have his bones buried in Egypt? After all, he was second in command. He was well honored. People in Egypt knew all about him. They thought very highly of him. Would it not make more sense to have his body uh, mummified in some way and then uh, laid in beside the famous pharaohs of the centuries? Would not such a burial be a, a lasting testimony to the Lord God Jehovah? Here's this believer in Jehovah buried right there among the great in Egypt. Well, the answer, I think, is that Joseph saw something far greater than that kind of burial in Egypt. Because he knew who he really was, a child of the covenant, a child of this wonderful arrangement God had made in calling Abram out and blessing Abraham and making all the wonderful promises to Abraham of that his descendants would be like the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea. He did not want his bones to end up in some pagan pyramid. He wanted them buried with the people of God in the land of promise. Now, let's go back here again. Remember that Joseph hardly lived in Canaan at all. His first few years, we don't know exactly how old he was when he was sold into slavery by his brothers. But certainly most of his life, he lived in Egypt not in Canaan. He was surrounded by idolaters. Very rarely did he come in contact with another child of God. He didn't have a Bible. He didn't have R.C. Sproul videos. He didn't have all the other stuff that we have. We can't even begin to mention all the booklets and books that have been written. We have access to Yet here is this man down in Egypt with this great faith and trust in the Lord, especially when you think about how his family had treated, mistreated him. His imprisonment, you would think he would have abandoned his faith. Even as many of our young people today tragically go off to school or get a job or get married, wherever they do, and they virtually forget, forsake their faith or at least forget about it. Not Joseph. I'd like to suggest at least three ways, three answers of why he was able to keep his faith. Number one, the most important one is the almighty power of God's grace in his life. God sustained him. We read, for example, in uh, three times in the Genesis 36, 39, the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. Secondly, let's give credit to his parents, Jacob and Rachel. We're not told exactly all they said. But they had put into Joseph's heart an understanding of God's covenant with Abram and Isaac. They reminded him about the Christ to come, based upon that promise in Genesis 3.15. One day, this wonderful deliverer would come, and it's going to be through him 
that we have access to the Almighty God and the holiness of God because he's going to enable us to be holy. All that was embedded into Joseph's thinking. Remarkable job they did. And thirdly, well, let's not forget about Joseph's faith. Remember, Hebrews 11, 22 starts with these words, by faith, Joseph did this. Yes, it was a God-given thing. Our faith is given by God. It's not something we earn or somehow discover. But having given it to us, God wants us to use it, to trust in him. So putting all those together, remarkable how the Lord preserved Joseph down in Egypt. But even a second command in the deserts of Egypt, his heart always lived in Canaan. So much so that the first verses of Genesis chapter 50, you find him arranging to take his father who had died and take his body back to Canaan. Joseph went with him, went into Canaan, arranged for the burial of Jacob. That's where his heart really was. I'd like to think that there were times when people of, the, of Egypt, the citizens of Egypt, would come to Joseph for a, a judicial matter or a political matter or something, and, and they go away thankful for the, the information they got, but looking at themselves, they said, didn't Joseph seem a little distracted today? It seemed he wasn't completely focused on us. We're grateful for the advice he gave for what he's done for us, but he just seems like he's not completely with us here. Oh, he saw those people, Joseph did. And there were times when he would stand at parade, and he saw the soldiers marching by. He saw their gilded chariots passing by. He saw his servants from time to time bowing down before him and obeying him as he gave certain commands. He saw all that. He saw the red sandstone palaces, the mighty monuments, the pyramids, and all of that. But while he saw all those things, there was something else he saw. He saw the black tents of his people scattered throughout Canaan. He saw sheep grazing in the pasture land of Palestine. He saw the faces of his father and his brothers and of other Israelites. In his heart, he knew, those are my people. That's my land. That's where I really belong. And I think by faith he also saw someone else that I alluded to earlier, the coming Christ. A special person who would walk in the, on the streets and through the villages of that promised land and enable say, a sinner like himself in some way to have his sins forgiven that he might go to be with the Lord forever. Do you understand now why he wanted his bones buried in Canaan, not in Egypt? Now, 200 years have already passed since God's promise to Abraham, and there seemed to be no immediate fulfillment in sight of God's people dwelling in Canaan. But Joseph had long-range vision based upon his faith. Back to Hebrews chapter 11, look at verse number 1 well-known to many of you. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Down in verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please him, please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, that he rewards those 
who seek him. And then go down to verse 13. These all, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah in particular, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. Then drop down to verse 16. As it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has promised for them a city. Yes, they look forward to that piece of real estate on planet Earth that we know is Canaan, the promised land. But beyond that is that heavenly home, even way back in the time of the patriarchs. That was what they really were seeing. So the charge to carry his bones back to Canaan gave evidence of his deep conviction that God would indeed bring them out of Egypt and bring his people to that land of Palestine, but especially bring believers in the Christ into glory of heaven. Back to Genesis chapter 50, that last verse. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. The Hebrew word for coffin is really like a box. So it would be kind of a mummy case as we think of it, but basically it was a box. His body was placed therein. Now, here's the interesting thing. As far as Scripture is concerned, that, Joseph's body was in that box in Egypt for 400 years. Now, that's a long time. 400 years they were stored away. We don't know where. We don't know how it was cared for, but some people cared for that box, remember Joseph's uh, desire and request. Perhaps we can envision from time to time that a father would take his son to that box. And, and the son would say, Dad, what's, what's this all about? And once more, the father would have opportunity to tell his son, about Joseph and about God's promise and about the coming Christ. And so among many people of the Israelites during that 400 years, the story of Joseph would be told and retold, especially that request and that promise that one day God is going to bring you out of here. And as they went into slavery because a new Pharaoh arose that knew not Joseph, as they endured those terrible years, they began to think more and more about what Joseph had said. He said one day... We're going to go out of here. Well, you would think that after 400 years, eventually that thing gets forgotten. Where was that box? Where was it? Well, the last time I saw it was over here. Well, it's not there anymore. Well, where is it? I don't know. What happened to it? But somehow, people kept track of it. Some of them did. And one day, just as Joseph had promised, the cry went forth, we're leaving Egypt. Pharaoh's, in fact, he's anxious to get rid of us. We're going out of Egypt. We're heading for the promised land. Now, Moses, of course, was the guy in charge. You can imagine how busy he was administrating and organizing. But he did remember something in all this busyness. 
over in Exodus 13, at the end of verse 18. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Moses knew about that. And others, we've got to take the bones of Joseph with us. Because Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones with you from here. So now they leave Egypt. What happens? They go down to Mount Sinai, the golden calf incident, and then God's curse upon that generation that did not serve him, did not believe. They are not going to enter the land. So there are 40 more years of wilderness wandering. So now we have 400 plus 40. So now we're over 440 years. That box is still being carried around, still being taken care of. People do know about it. But we can imagine that along the way in their wearisome journey, the box began to get a little heavy, began to be a nuisance to some. We can imagine that they were burdened with the pitiful remains of a dead body. Why are we carrying this thing around? Just leave it to rot out here in the desert. But by faith, there are still some Israelites who said, no, 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 no. We must keep our commitment to our father Joseph. And so they kept transporting it around. Now, this was especially meaningful for the writers, the the readers of Hebrews, to whom the writer first wrote. A constant reminder to them, first of all, of man's frailty and his ultimate demise. Also, an illustration to motivate them in the first century to live for the Lord, persevere for the Lord, and even die believing in the promises of God, just as Joseph did. Well, after 440 years, or perhaps even a little bit more, the time finally came when they entered the promised land told about that in the early chapters of Joshua. God provided a remarkable miracle as he did with the Red Sea. The Jordan River was parted, and they went over on dry land. And they came in with their families, their camels, and their sheep, their tents. They came in with the treasures of Egypt that the Egyptians had given them, saying, just take this and just go. They brought that in. They came in with jewels and cooking utensils and clothes. They came in with their hopes and their dreams and their anticipation and their excitement. And they came in carrying a box. A box of bones. But as with the years in Egypt... We don't know what they did with that box. We're not told where they stored it. We do know that several more years went by as Joshua led the people first into Jericho and Ai and then to capture the Canaanites and so on. That took some time. Then there was the allotment of the area for the 12 tribes. That had to be set up. Now turn to the last chapter of Joshua. 
The last words of the book of Joshua. At verse 29, after these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. Isn't that interesting? He and Moses lived the same amount of years. Verse 30 tells about his burial. Verse 31 says about what it was like in the days of Joshua. Now look at verse 32. As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob bought for the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It, this burial site, became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. At last, Joseph was home in the land of God's covenant promise. And that became a wonderful testimony to the inheritance of Joseph's descendants, as well as other Israelites. The bones of faith. Remarkable how they cared for those and remembered Joseph's request and fulfilled his request and got the bones all the way buried to the Canaan land. This is now getting near the end of 2019. Here we are. Here we are in this room today. What are the lessons that we should apply to our hearts based upon what we've considered this morning? Let me share four things. Number one, obviously, faith. I already read for you Hebrews 11.1. 1. We're reminded that faith does consider evidence and reason about it and look at it. But evidence only goes so far, at which point the person needs to act on that evidence and believe something. In our case, we act on the evidence of the Word of God, and then what's revealed to us, we then act on that in obedience, believing that God will honor our efforts to please Him as we trust in Him, especially as we trust in His Son, Jesus. A sinner considers Jesus. Who was he? What did he do? What did he claim? What does the scripture say about him? Hmm. I'm a sinner. I understand that. I see that Jesus is the answer. I now act on that and I commit my life to him. I hope each one of you have done that somewhere along the line, either as a very young child, maybe later in your life. You've seen your sin, a need of a savior. You consider the evidence for faith in Jesus and there it is in the gospel. Jesus, of course, set the example of all this during during trials and temptations, trusting in the Father's will even unto his death, his body buried with unbroken bones, by the way, as Scripture says, knowing that it would not be left on earth, but would be raised to glory. Indeed, through his work, we are raised for our justification. God wants us to take him at his word. Joseph took God at his word. Surely God is going to bring you out of Egypt and and surely my bones will be brought to the land he's promised. Lesson number two, possessions. Joseph had a lot of possessions. He was a wealthy guy. He had everything he would want in terms of clothes, food, palaces to live in, etc. He appreciated that. He enjoyed that. He was able to use what he had for the betterment of the Egyptian people and for his fellow Israelites. 
Yet his mind was always on higher things than just simply all that stuff. For on his deathbed, the stuff meant nothing. But what meant so much to Joseph in his dying moments was, my bones are really going to be put in the promised land as God's people were brought out. And one day, the Lord is going to bless me with eternal life. And I go to my grave with that wonderful thought in my heart and mind. The things of earth were as nothing when weighed in the things of heaven. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3, chapter, verses 1 and 2, If you then have been raised with Christ, seek those things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. And we have to be very careful. We have so much stuff, especially technology stuff, that we can just get so wrapped up in our iPhones and cell phones and smartphones and TVs and all of that, that we begin to forget about our eternal souls. Joseph did not. But we have to deal with that tension there. Lesson number three, death. We learn a lot about death here. A Christian cannot be passive about dying. Unless it's a sudden accident or a sudden heart attack, that kind of thing. Here is a final opportunity to do something on earth. And how many wonderful testimonies we've heard uh, and read about of dying believers in Jesus Christ giving wonderful testimonies to their doctors, their nurses, to their families, to their friends. And people are inspired by that and encouraged by that. If nothing else, we can just dwell in our own hearts about the amazing grace that God has shown to us in Jesus Christ, resting on His promises. All of our lifetime, we should be preparing for that hour. I, myself, get ever closer to that hour as the years go by. And every day goes by, every week goes by, you're moving toward that time as well. It will be the last great enemy with which we contend. We're going to need all of our spiritual armor, but nothing but confident faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ will enable us to enter that unseen world with composure and delight. Joseph did. And finally, Resurrection. Resurrection. Joseph's bones were eschatological, eschatological, E-S-C-H-A-T, etc. Eschatos means last things, not only the last events of history, but also having to do with this man's ultimate destiny. He could say with the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the resurrection of the body. I know that when my bones are buried in Canaan, one day they're going to be raised, and I'm going to be raised, and I'm going to be changed. In the words of the Apostle Paul, I'm going to be raised imperishable, glorious, immortal. So even our bones can rest in our graves until that great hour in body and soul shall be reunited with the Lord in the glory of heaven to come. I hope that's your hope. I hope that's your trust hope you're looking forward to that and planning your life zeroing in on that as Joseph did. Because if that's true, then we will join Joseph at last in our heavenly home.
what great encouragement Joseph's faith is to us. Let's apply it to our lives. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only for the forgiveness of our sins, but for the hope of eternal life in heaven and the glory of heaven, which we can't even begin to fully imagine. So, Lord, encourage us this day as we seek to honor you with our lives and trust in you day by day. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.